welcome. Um, short week. Thank you. That is real short week, um, and I don't think we've got another short week now for several months. So it looks like the whole industry is back to it. Um, yeah. And when this, I saw this pop into my diary, I was like, awesome, because the biggest question that came up to me was um, the the amount of security and privacy questions that are in the market at the minute are just rife, right? It's, it's absolutely. A huge topic and um, I was really keen to kind of push it around with you so uh, Paul yeah. Holmes info by design um, experts in all things all things privacy yep um, that sounds. just tell us a little bit about info by design and uh, where you guys slot into the world yeah absolutely um, so obviously we're privacy consultants uh, so we work with organizations both public and private sector just to help them really get their privacy settings right uh, so a lot of that is working from a bit of a strategic view, um, you know, what information do organisations have, why do they have it, how are they using it, uh, and then looking at, you know, is it being used in the right way, are they keeping it safe in the right way, what extra controls need to be put in place to make sure it's managed right, um, and then occasionally if something does go wrong, we're there to clean up the, the mess at the other end as well, so yeah. but we much prefer to be dealing in the front end. In terms of, um, you know, as a human being, like my obligations as a person around privacy, like, you know, I put my life out there on LinkedIn, um, you know, what I'm doing with business, and then I share my life on, on social media, and then automatically I've possibly got a bit of a privacy issue, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you get a sense that, you know, as an individual, as a business, it's kind of hard to have your cake and eat it too. You put all your stuff out there and then expect to be private. like. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a really weird thing because, I mean, privacy is all about people at the end of the day um, and people you know, don't always act rationally. Uh, I guess one of the things that we find is that where, I guess, breakdowns happen and people get upset about things associated with their privacy is when they're forced to think about it. Most people generally don't think about it day to day. They just kind of go about their life, use the services that they use, use social media. Um, there's a big convenience factor there and, you know, I guess from a rational perspective, if they'd step back and look at the social media terms and conditions and realised all the things that they can do with that data, everyone would say, no, I'm not comfortable with that. But because it's there, because everyone else is there, we don't read the terms and conditions, we just click that we accept them and go off and use it. Um, and so, you know, thinking about that from an individual perspective, people have different, you know, different perspectives and different values on their information. Some will share everything openly, some want to have everything completely restricted and tied down which makes it really hard for an organization to then say, okay, well, how do we get the right settings in place? Um, and so fundamentally, you know, good privacy practice comes down to being transparent, open, no surprises kind of approach, because it's when people get those surprises, that's when they start getting friction and complaints and issues start arising. Wait, wait, like in, in your experience, um, which from reading through the, um, the tenure of your organization is, is you know, lengthy, what would you say is like the biggest stumbling block that organizations are coming across? I mean, you know, like, because it feels like the privacy um, scenario is the, or the privacy industry is the, the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, right? It's second, seems to be a secondary thought. Yeah, um, I think it's really, I guess, looking at it as a compliance thing. So what are the minimum things we have to do if something goes wrong? Um, when actually doing privacy well, thinking about it from a design perspective is where you want to be. So that's the biggest misstep that we see with organisations. They look at it as a roadblock. We can't do this because of the Privacy Act, which is one of the most you know, untrue things, mm-hmm. I guess, that people say most of the time. Because fundamentally, the way our Privacy Act and our legislation is written is an enabling piece of legislation. It says, if you do it this way, it's okay. Um, and so taking that view and building it in as a design thing, saying, okay, how do we design it in the right way to achieve the right outcomes that we want compliantly is far better than saying, okay, well, we can't even go there because of privacy. Right, right. So in, in terms of 
101 Privacy Act top five bullet points. If mm -hmm. you're a business and you're going, okay, look, in terms of my, my mandate when it comes to technology or data, yeah. I haven't really put a lot of thought into privacy yet. Like, What are the top mm. five things that would uh, indicate that something is a good way to be going? The way our, our legislation is written is everything starts with what information you collect for what purpose. So really mm. having a good understanding of where information is coming into your organisation, what, what purpose you're collecting it for, um, because what the privacy access is, if you've collected it for that purpose, then you can go and use it or disclose it for that purpose anyway. So having an understanding of that and handling it well, um, giving people choice as well. So if someone has to provide information, telling them that, but if they don't have to, then giving the options. So we see a lot of organizations collecting a whole lot of information that they don't need because it might be useful later. So avoiding that because again, you know, that just creates more risk and more, more data sprawl. So those are kind of a couple of the top two. Um, I mean, obviously keeping it safe and secure is really important. Um, I guess having some sort of assessment process so you're proactively thinking about privacy when you're designing and implementing new systems and technologies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that makes a massive difference because then you're designing the right settings in rather than having to patch or fix things when they're identified as going wrong later on. Um, and probably fifth is, you know, things will go wrong. There's so much information out there and so much activity, whether it be via email, you know, cloud solutions, etc. There will be breaches, so don't assume there won't be. But having a good, I guess, solid response plan for when they do go wrong um, and actually you know, fronting it in transparently and openly saying sorry, because you know, out of all the breaches that we've worked in over the years, um, if the organisation has been genuine and sincere and said, hey, we messed up and we're really sorry and this is what we're doing to make it right, people just go, okay, I understand that and mistakes happen. It's when you hide behind lawyers or yep. you know, take two months to let someone know something's happened, that's when it blows up and turns, I guess, turns into more of a dispute. I mean, as a, as a business operator who runs a whole business from within the cloud, the, yep. we've looked to inherit privacy um, measures and mitigation tactics for privacy from our cloud providers. So the Salesforce customer, massive Microsoft partner, we use, use a lot of software as a service, which um, by the definition of it's built to an ISO 27001 standard and it has GPD, uh, GPDR as, uh, in terms of like the European view mm -hmm. of the privacy in, inherent in its design, we feel like we've, we've made a good attempt and a strong attempt at a best practice approach. Um, though, as you start to scale that into your um, to smaller businesses, where there becomes a cost of privacy, right? As in, like, you know, the New Zealand's built off small business. Do you, do you see this as a larger risk in New Zealand because of the small business nature of our of our economy? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and it's one that we have to be more mindful of because we're also a little bit unique in our regulatory framework in terms of our act applies to everyone, big or small right down to individuals, whereas a lot of the regulations overseas will apply to corporations who do you know, a certain amount of business. So in Australia, they have a sort of a dollar value um, that brings you into compliance with the, the Privacy Act and beneath that it doesn't apply. So it is really important for the small businesses to, to get it right. Um, and I think what we see is a lot of, particularly in the, I guess, the cloud businesses and software businesses um, start off quickly, get everything up and running, have a lawyer who's given them some sort of generic template thing um, in terms of a privacy policy. But it's not until they start getting to that kind of, you know, rapid growth space that they then need to say, OK, well, hang on, are we doing this in the right way? Um, but what we're seeing, particularly if you're in the business where you're selling a service to other businesses, um, all of those large corporates now are requiring greater levels of due diligence around privacy. So if you don't have it, it makes it harder for you to break into that market and get some of those 
I guess, those anchor clients that can grow you to the next stage. What's the cost in, you know, the the risk ratio for a business? So there's many, many business owners listen to this podcast, and I imagine that there's a scenario going through their minds, as it's gone through my mind, which is, if I get this wrong, what am I on the hook for? Yeah. Uh, not absolutely. only is there an ethical element to this in terms of servicing your customers properly, though, mm-hmm. if I breach and break a privacy act, yeah. Uh, what you know? What are the implications from a business standpoint? From, well, from it's really uh, interesting. Yeah, really interesting in New Zealand. So if you're looking, if you're trading internationally, then there's you know, if you're in Europe under GDPR or in Australia or others, there's potential fines from the regulators to come in, and that's you know a direct cost. Um, but all the research globally shows that the biggest cost of any data breach is lost business. Um, so about 30, 38% or so of the cost of loss bu- of the data breach is lost business. So it's really that hit on your brand, hit on your reputation, hit on your trust is going to be the actual, you know, I guess the breaking point. And if you're in a competitive marketplace and you're the company that's had the data breach and the other two companies that you're competing against, you know, haven't, then you're immediately at a disadvantage. So it's not really that direct financial cost in New Zealand. Um, it's more that brand reputation hit and what that can do and how long it takes to recover. Because, um, you know, we see it usually in terms of a breach, it takes two to three years plus for people to forget if you've been in the papers and that sort of thing, that it was your company that was involved. Yeah, in. yeah, t- totally. And, and that really kind of comes down to like the reporting of breach, right? And that is a, mm-hmm. from what is a, um, we have a, we have a, breach scenario and actually we run drills around breach where we're obviously reporting and bring you know going to a ci um uh, like a information standard management pro- mm-hmm. protocol around okay how do we contain a breach and forensic analysis and all that jazz yeah. so in terms of reporting the breach itself walk mm-hmm. our listeners through um what they should be doing like if a breach is it has occurred and you know that you have breached the act yeah um, What's ethically the right process to go through to make sure that it is, you know, you're following the guidelines? Absolutely. Um, so in New Zealand, our act requires you to report a breach to the Privacy Commissioner and any affected people um, if it has or could cause serious harm. So there's a kind of threshold where if it's a really, you know, if it's a breach that has no prospect of causing harm, so something was emailed to the wrong person, but it was just a name with no real context around it, um, you know, you're possibly going to harm the person more by telling them than the actual event could have done. So in that space, well, it's not really reportable. Uh, But if it does meet that threshold, and again, the more data involved or the more people involved in the breach, the more likely you are to reach that threshold because the more people there are, the more likely someone is going to be harmed. Um, Then you have to report it to the Office of Privacy Commissioner and the individual within, and the guidance from them is within 72 hours of it happening. Um, So the expectation from the regulator is that you do it quickly. Um, And in terms of engaging with people, I think the, you know, the key things are providing them with certainty. Um, you know, this happened, we know this data was affected and this is what we've done to secure it and this is why, you know, the risk has been managed or there's no further risk to you or, well, it's still out there and we're trying to do everything we can to recover it. Um, and then, you know, apologising genuinely because actually that's the most effective thing in any breach is saying, hey, look, we messed up and we're really sorry and we're doing something about it to fix it. And would you classify a security breach and a privacy breach as independent incidents? Or are you looking no. at, like, how do you kind of weigh up the, I guess, the language? Um, yeah, I mean, it, a data breach is any data going outside the organisation that shouldn't have. Um, it's a privacy breach if some of that contains personal information about customers. Um, you know, most security breaches these days do have that because there's so much information about people across all systems. I mean, if you think about everywhere within an organisation that personal data is held, 
you know, it's pretty wide. Um, but again, if you're doing business to business type activity, there could be a whole heap of commercially sensitive information about your, your you know, your customers or your partners. Um, and the way that we think about it is, um, you know, it's only a privacy breach that's reportable if personal information's involved. Um, other, but treat it the same way either way, you know, being transparent, being open, apologizing, giving people the ability to respond to it in the way that they think they need to is kind of the really important thing there. I imagine that there are a lot of scenarios that you've been involved with where there has been a breach of privacy in your supply chain or a customer's supply chain where mm -hmm. the business that you're talking to isn't the one that had the privacy breach. And I'll give you an yep. example where let's say you are consuming a CRM from a large CRM provider and mm -hmm. they have a breach where they've lost yep. your information or breached it. What are the obligations under that scenario where you are not at fault but there has been a breach of information that you're the custodian of. Yeah, so the way that our act specifies it is it says that if some, if an organisation says, you know, a CRM provider or something has information just for the purposes of storage or processing, so it's just to deliver that service, they can't use it for their own business purposes, for example, um, then the act says that they're your agent. Um, so it's not a disclosure of information to them, it's treated as still being held by you because it's kind of within your bubble. Um, but what the act says there is that if something does go wrong, then it's your breach. You're the one who collected the information. You're the one who put it there. So you're the one accountable. Um, so it makes it really important that you do have the right agreements in place with those third parties that you're dealing with to ensure that they have an obligation to tell you in the event of a breach and that you have some ability to kind of direct how some of that's managed because otherwise you know, you're liable for something that's completely out of your control. Yeah, understood. So in terms of some of the certifications and standards that you'd be expecting these upstream providers to have. I imagine mm -hmm. it's ISO 27001, CIS, um, GDPR, structured um, like data processing and mm -hmm. agent-based policy. Anything else yeah. that, that we should be looking out for in terms of the standards that these SaaS providers are meeting? Um, I mean, they should be able to demonstrate you what their practices are. So a certification's you know, great because it, it shows that they have taken the time, um, but you should be ask, able to ask them the question of, can you tell us what your privacy policy is? Can you tell us what your processes are in the event of a breach and how you're going to manage that with us? And they should be able to give you those answers. Um, so the more that they've got that already kind of pre-prepared and able to, you know, able to give you that confidence, um, mm. you know, the, I guess the better that is and the easier it makes it to select the right, um, I guess, partners or organizations to work with. So on the subject of demonstrating good use of data, and you mentioned it before in terms of agent versus uh, or an agent of an organization versus the mm -hmm. ability to use it for any other means. Let's touch on the early part of, um, I guess, data and privacy within social media. Mm. Uh, the Cambridge Analytica saga that happened with data that was effectively personal and private and was used for alternative, yeah. alternative means. How, in your view, how much was that a trigger for change within the industry around the seriousness of private information and what it was used for and how it was sold within? Yeah, you know? I mean, it was really significant um, because of the legislative reforms that it drove um, and the greater regulatory attention on it. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, it comes back to my point about transparency and trust. If people know what's happening with their information and they've chosen to participate in it, then it's fine. If they're participating in something and then a whole heap of dodgy things are happening behind the scenes that they're not comfortable with but they don't know about it when it does come up then obviously you know that causes issues but from a um from a business perspective it definitely has really changed the focus of the regulators 
um, and change kind of the, I guess, the social license of organizations to be able to do some of that stuff. There's a lot more scrutiny um, from media and others around those sorts of practices. I mean, you look at how often Facebook's in the news these days, for example, in terms of their, their practices and, you know, prior to Cambridge Analytica and those sorts of things, it was not really something that everyone worried about. Um, it is a fascinating topic for me that you, know, you look at what social media is driven by, which is ultimately endorphins, dopamine, social inclusion, mm -hmm. um, to decide for, especially for our younger generations, to decide not to be signing up to Instagram and TikTok and Facebook mm. because of terms and conditions. Yep. It's actually not a reality, right? I mean, we're going to find a 16 year old that scroll through the terms and conditions and understands the yep. implications of that. Absolutely. But um, I think the thing is, the 16 year olds and the others are the ones who are more actively turning on the privacy settings and going through and restricting things and locking it down than yep. those of us who haven't necessarily grown up as digital natives in that space. So um, it really is, um, I guess, you know, that sort of 30 plus year old generation that are the ones who are kind of, you know, blissfully unaware of some of the risks or just don't know or don't have the drive to go and lock it down. Um, Whereas if you talk to any teenager, you know, they've probably got a, you know, a personal profile and then a secret profile um, and has changed their privacy settings and locked it all down pretty effectively. Yeah, uh, that is fascinating. And that's a, that's mm. a scenario that you, you're coming across, right? So multiple profiles for different reasons for that. Yeah, the, ones that, the, fam yeah, the ones that the family and others can see and then the ones that they only want their friends to see. So. Wow. That is that is fascinating, and actually, that that really actually gives me a lot of confidence that the amount of accountability that the generation is taking for mm. the privacy, um, yep. and I think that is a, is a pushback on you know, big social media organisations going. Look, I want to use your platform because I want to be social, but you know, mm. the metaphorical middle finger up at you because I don't want you to be tracking all of my information, using it for, for profitable gain. Yeah, and I think it's one that's gonna, you know, it's gonna continue to evolve over time. I mean, you look at some an organization like Apple, who's quite clearly and you know actively made privacy a strategic play for them for about the last sort of you know seven or eight years, talking about it and treating it as a competitive advantage because of the practices of some of the other organizations and where you know the data is you know the way that they make their money. So I think you know you're seeing more organizations and more big brands kind of pick up on that privacy is something that will actually cause someone to make a different decision. Yeah, and I was actually going to move on to Tim Cook's move, especially over the last year or so as the iOS platform um, and the macOS platform have now inherently almost gone everything sacred until you decide that it's not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Way around. Um, what's um, your on that in general as a, as a, a consumer? Yeah, it's how it should be, because um, we should have the choice and the ability to be as open or as closed as we want to. Um, and I guess the way that a lot of these platforms have made their money is by making everyone open by default and you know, potentially giving them the, people the ability to restrict things, but having it buried so far down menus and other layers, you'll only go and find it if you're really, really determined to do that sort of stuff. Um, and so that's where some of the regulatory pressures and other things are coming from as well. Is, you know, it's not enough to just have the feature or to just have the words and the terms and conditions. You have to make it accessible for people so that they can understand it and make an informed choice. Mm. Um, and definitely the Apple push is very much along those lines. And would you say Apple of uh, Apple are at the top of the um, the maturity layer of 
um, who's doing this right with like an ethics and a technology enablement perspective, or is there someone that's doing a better job than those guys at the moment? Um, I mean, they're the, they're the biggest and most visible. Um, so Apple definitely, Microsoft as well, have had a really strong commitment to privacy for a number of years now, and even the tools that they're putting in place for business now, you know, helping businesses to better manage some of their obligations in that space. Um, so, yeah, so they're some of the big players. Um, and again, it comes to, um, you know, their business is not in the business of making money off people's data. Their business is in terms of selling products or selling services that add value to, to individuals. Um, so those social media companies and others are a pretty special case because fundamentally that data and their use of it for serving up targeted advertising and the other things, that's their entire profit model. Um, yeah, I imagine that that flows onto their data customers. Of fact that you yep. know, Google is obviously a large data aggregator in terms of pulling in mm -hmm. data. Their customers are using yep. using data. Uh, do you foresee a creation of new industries based on a heightened set of privacy regulations, or like the demise of an industry because of this this change? Yeah, I mean, I think you're seeing definitely, you know, with Apple's changes and things, you know, and the sort of moving away from third-party cookies and all of these sorts of things, there's definitely taking away what was a pretty lucrative industry for a number of organizations. And, you know, things will change, things will evolve. Um, but I think, you know, what people are willing to allow companies to do with their information um, is shrinking in terms of as people become more aware of some of the practices and uh, I guess the implications of those practices um, then the social license or people's willingness to let them do that is is shrinking now it's not going to happen today or tomorrow but it's definitely trending that way so on that basis then we we, we touched on the uh, more mature generation you know more like my age kind of guys who were early version of social media who were like click the terms mm -hmm. again and we've we've got you know close to 20 years worth of you know, aggregated social media data, you know, mm -hmm. if anyone's really interested, they can go back and look at me as an early teenager, all the way through when I didn't really care what, you know, what privacy was, now obviously do. Yeah. Um, great to see like the intergenerational movement of more maturity coming in and the fact that they're now aware of what privacy actually means for them, for themselves. Mm -hmm. But if I want to be deleted as a, you know, an individual, what rights mm -hmm. have I got to turn around to Google and say, everything you've got on me, every website I've ever been on, every ad I've clicked on, any form of information related to me, I want it wiped. Yeah. How does that stand in terms of the maturity of the market? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, so it's baked into the European legislation, for example, and some of the other ones that are sort of GDPR similars that are coming up across the globe. So there's more people who have a legislative right to be forgotten. Um, and that's led to platforms like Google providing people's ability to do that. So Google, you can log into your Google account and see all the information they've got on you and delete it. You can choose what you delete and for how long. Because, um, you know, the great example is Google Maps. If you've got Google Maps on your phone and you've been running it on your phone for a while, if you log into your you know, Google account, then you can see everywhere you've been because your phone's tracked you and they've got it there on their servers still. Uh, but you can go and delete that. So, um, yeah, there's more of that coming out for people to take control. Um, and I guess increasingly people are using it but it's still the minority who are the ones who are taking the time and effort to go and do it and the rest of them you know i guess the companies are just relying on people's inert laziness that they they won't do it and therefore um they'll still have the data there that they can use for other purposes yeah yeah it is a double-edged sword that that traceability is actually can drive significant value for mm -hmm. the individual as well absolutely uh, for instance you know i've got find my friends on my phone i've got from friends and family back in the uk they know where i'm at mm -hmm. any point there's a safety protocol around that yep. you know uh, you know it could be really useful for you know aged care or families who mm. are in a, 
a difficult situation with, with disabilities and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but you need to yield your privacy to have that safety net in certain scenarios. Yeah. And I think it's the it comes back to that making an informed choice. So if you want to do that, then you can. Um, whereas with the Google Maps example, they had that on by default for everyone. Mm. And so everyone has that tracked and has that information stored in their Google account um, unless they've chosen to go in and delete it or turn it off. Um, and it should be the other way around. You should have the option to turn that on so you can have it rather than, I guess, it being on by default. Yeah. What's the biggest cardinal sin, in your view, that either individuals or businesses are making today that creates risk around around privacy? Like, what are those things that make you like, you know, stay awake at night or you know, go, or really, really wince when you see it happening? Yeah, um, I think it comes back to that. Um, I guess what information are they collecting and where? Um, and so there's a whole heap of, oh, well, we've already got this information, so we can use it for whatever we want. Um, and actually, well, that's not quite true because you collected it for a purpose. If you want to use it for something else, that's where you need consent. And relying on someone clicking a terms and conditions box five years ago is a bit of a loose and tenuous argument to say that they've given you informed consent for it. So it's really stepping back and saying, well, how are we, you know, how are we using this information? What do we get it for? Are we doing the right things with it? Um, and how transparent can we be? Because you know, if you're not willing to publicly tell your customers we're doing this with your information, then you're probably crossing that creepy line. Um, and you should step back and think about, well, if you wouldn't tell someone publicly, then why are you still doing it? Assuming that the market is full of um, loose terms like you sign up to something and it's we re reserve the right to use this information for marketing activity, mm -hmm. yeah. ultimately you can't bludge yeah. to do whatever you want with the with the data, right? And, and are you seeing um, organisations like you know like Mailchimp and those like EDM electronic mm -hmm. uh, mail distribution engines kind of tighten up on that in terms of like list management in your view? Um. There's a little bit of it. It still needs to improve. Um, I mean, obviously, people can unsubscribe and those sorts of things, but um, yeah, it, there is still more use. And it's that funny thing, you know, if you if you do it right from a privacy perspective, then there is a potential impact on your marketing effectiveness. So there's always that tension there, and it's finding the finding the right balance so that you're doing enough to you know protect people's information um, while still getting the business value and you know activity that you want to run. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think. Yeah, privacy, security, intent, best practice versus ethical practice, um, mm -hmm. and keeping a business outcome in mind whilst being sensitive to your customers' needs for privacy. It's yeah, it's very grey. Um, it is absolutely. You know, I, um, you know, I mean, I imagine that you're fighting for best practice throughout, right? But I do see the pull of why businesses would push. Yeah, and I think that's where you know and. So that's one of the benefits of the legislation being principles based is it does tell you if you do it this way, it's okay. So I think, you know, it's more taking that, you know, that lens of how do we do this in a safe and appropriate way? Um, so you can still do it to achieve the business outcomes, but how do you, how do you make sure that you manage that effectively? Um, and that really comes down to, again, thinking about it from the start. So it's not, we've designed a campaign, we've done all of these things, we're about to launch, can you have a look at it and tell me if it's okay? Um, you know, that may tell you if it's legally defendable, but it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Whereas if you start from the start and have good understanding of what, you know, what privacy means and what your obligations are, then you can get it set up in the right way. And in terms of obligations for business, um, and I believe this to be a fact, but keep me on point with it, that every mm -hmm. New Zealand business is required to have a privacy officer allocated. Correct. As part yep. of their, 
what limited status, I imagine, or reg business registration? Uh, no, it's not even a part of the business registration. It's just a requirement under the law. So, you, you know, a sole trader is their own privacy officer, I guess. But generally speaking, you know, an organisation should appoint someone as a privacy officer um, and give them the ability or the resources to be able to do that role. Um, we see a lot of organisations who have someone who wears the title but has no time or accountability associated with it. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, totally. And as, as an organisation, and we're 60 or so people now, and we we have uh, dedicated roles that are CISO and yep. uh, under the CISO role drive privacy as a mandate, mm -hmm. as part of a roles and responsibilities for the business. Yep. So we're in for a New Zealand standard, a relatively sizable organisation. Um, mm -hmm. Virtual privacy officers are becoming a, a thing now in terms of making yep. sure you have the right person in your organisation, be it employed or um, contracted to drive that and um, walk me through how you drive the virtual privacy officer kind of approach at Info by Design and how that works. Yeah, so um, so it really is, I guess, well, there's two two ways to run it. So one is we are the privacy officer, so we just are there to support, review, you know, develop policies, processes, um, or we're privacy resource working to support the person who holds the title internally. Um, but basically it works with yeah, working with the organisation to provide that specialist resource uh, make sure they've got the right policies and processes in place, um, do privacy impact assessments if there's things that they're being developed that need help with. Um, and, you know, it doesn't have to be a massive cost because you know, a lot of it is, you know, we're there to help as and where needed. And there's a little bit of investment in getting it foundationally established right. Um, but then, you know, it's just the ongoing support and the technical expertise when it's needed. It's also very, I imagine it's a hard thing to retrofit. Uh, you know, organisations start small and grow, go to big. That's mm -hmm. kind of the yeah. Uh, we see no one in New Zealand Inc wants to see big go to small. That's not yeah, an ideal scenario. Um, though in terms of due diligence and a business being acquired or seeking investment, um, the ability to demonstrate good privacy within due diligence is going to be huge, right? Absolutely. Uh, be something that can really trip you up down the line, not just from a privacy breach, but from the ability to raise capital, sell your mm -hmm. business, seek investment. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And it, even sort of doubly so if you're looking at sort of in, international operations as well, because, you know, then the, the regulatory hurdles overseas are even higher. So if you are, do have those aspirations of growth, then, you know, the ability to retrofit that becomes even even more challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look, Paul, I think that security, privacy and the dynamics of um, B2B and B2C can be discussed for days. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, from everybody that's listening, um, there will be an element of their mind that's okay. Am I doing enough around privacy and security when mm -hmm. it comes to meeting their meeting their obligations? Where would you suggest is the best place to go to seek more guidance and advice? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're happy to happy to help and support um, anyone who needs it. Um, the Privacy Commissioner's website, so privacy.org.nz, has quite you know quite a range of free resources and things on there. That would be you know my recommended starting point. Um, and I guess the other way that we tend to operate with organisations is come in and just do a quick health check. So, you know, quick review, what have you got in place? What should you have in place? Where are the gaps and what's the plan to remediate that? Um, because I think you know, you're not going to you're not going to fix it overnight. And most organisations have some level of capability because people un intuitively understand that, you know, privacy is important and the privacy breaches are bad. But having a structured way to say, OK, well, we know this is where we need to get to and these are the steps that we're going to take to get there over time uh, is really important to actually drive that change. Yeah, that's fascinating, fascinating stuff. And we could go on for hours, but you're a busy man. Um, and really, thank you for making the time to come and 
speak to us and our audience. Um, I'm pretty sure this will be a, um, a topic that doesn't go out of vogue anytime soon with the way that um, especially cloud consumption is, is moving and the, the move to kind of basing all economies of, of cloud technology. We'll post the details about how to get in contact with yourself, Paul, and, and the team at Info, Info by Design. Uh, it's been great to have you on. And um, from me to you, thank you for being part of the community that's driving good adoption and good privacy within all of the businesses out there. You're fighting a good fight. Cool, thanks very much for having me. It's been cool. great.